Hello there, everybody. Uh, before we begin, I would just like to kindly remind all of you that this episode of the podcast is proudly presented by Golf Guide Magazine. If you haven't picked up a Golf Guide Magazine already, I invite you to go to your local golf course, golf shop, wherever it may be, as long as you're in California, Nevada, or Oregon, and pick up a complimentary copy of Golf Guide Magazine. It is a complete directory of every golf course in all three states. It gives you basic information on how to contact the golf course, what kind of a golf course it is, whether it's a full-length golf course, a par-3 course, you know, an idea of what kind of the price is going to be. It is an awesome, comprehensive guide to every golf course on the West Coast, excluding Washington, although that is going to be changing soon. More details to follow. Um, but it's just a really great resource for anybody that enjoys golf and anybody that enjoys traveling to go play golf. So one more time, next time you're at the golf course, be sure to pick up a copy of Golf Guide Magazine. Completely free, very valuable resource. I, got, I put a couple uh, articles in there for this most recent issue, which is uh, Volume 21, Issue 1. So one more time, Golf Guide Magazine. Check it out. And now let's get to the podcast. All right. Well, uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was quite a golf tournament that we got to watch last weekend. I, uh, you know, as I got several. Uh, text. I mean, shit. It might even be dozens of texts over the weekend from uh, friends and uh, and colleagues that uh, had listened to the podcast I did with uh, Chris Durr last week. Which, by the way, awesome podcast with Chris last week. Got a lot of good feedback. So thank you everybody that reached out. Chris, thank you again, man. As as always, you were a spectacular guest. I know that uh, we uh, kind of both published that podcast on each of our respective podcast feeds. So I hope as many people got to uh, enjoy that podcast as it seemed like. But man, that golf tournament. It was honestly everything I could have possibly dreamed of. The bloodbath that I witnessed at Shinnecock Hills over the weekend was it it was honestly intoxicating stuff. I mean, watching these guys have to hit perfect golf shots and anything below perfection was more or less uh reciprocated with a penal outcome. I mean, it was it was absolutely perfect is exactly what I wanted. Uh, in terms of championship golf, I know that, you know, certainly the weekend was filled with a lot of controversy, most of which I thought was pretty much unwarranted. I, and I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit deeper. But I mean, overall, the golf tournament, it's hard for me to envision the golf tournament being really any better um, than it was. I'm going to get into all a couple of things that I liked and didn't like and some of my observations uh, from different portions of the tournament in greater detail, I mean, really, off the top of my head, the only thing that I could think of that would have made the tournament even better was somehow, some way, if Tom Fleetwood had been able to make one of those birdie putts on 16, 17, and 18 to shoot 62, forever silence John Miller, and then force a playoff with Brooks Kepka. I mean, that that would have actually been the ultimate outcome that would have just produced the most perfect golf tournament I could possibly think of. Uh Oh, actually, you know what? No, no. I thought of one other thing. Had they not gotten rid of the fucking playoff format and we had an 18-hole Monday playoff with Brooks Kepka and Tommy Fleetwood, that that would have been my number one outcome on the weekend. Um, you know, w- once Tiger Woods missed the cut on Friday, you know that that ship had sailed, and that that would have been just the absolute best. So, 
kind of bummed that uh, we didn't get to see some sort of a playoff between those two guys because the crazy thing is, you know, the, the golf course that Tommy Fleetwood played on Sunday morning versus the one that Brooks Kepka played on Sunday afternoon was, you know, it w- was was different enough where, you know, if you were out there playing, you would have noticed a large difference in the way the greens were playing in terms of their uh, the, their firmness, how dry the golf course was. So it would have been great to see those two guys where after 72 holes of golf, they ended up on the exact same number, and then just the two of them got to go out and play the golf course in identical conditions to determine the winner. That, to me, that would have been the greatest result that we could have gotten. But alas, Brooks Kepka, the first back-to-back U.S. Open winner since Curtis Strange in the late 1980s, um, and man, he was just, I mean, Brooks Kepka was putting on a damn clinic out there. I mean, just watching him put on a ball striking stripe show, uh, was really, really impressive. And uh, to be perfectly honest, he absolutely deserved to win that golf tournament. I, I have not heard anybody say that he was not a deserving champion yet, which is actually very refreshing, uh, because with the way he played, um, I mean, for a guy that hits the ball as far as he does, I, he wasn't even in the top 30 in strokes gained off the tee. I mean, he was just exceptional approaching the greens and he had a great, a hot putter. And, you know, because of that and given the conditions of the golf course and the way that Shinnecock Hills uh, plays where it's really demand, you know, I mean, really with the way those green complexes are with all those, you know, tightly mown green surrounds and kind of the crowns where balls are going to roll all the way off the green if they're not hit just perfectly to the right spots. It just put an absolute premium on approaching the green and you know have, having a good week with a putter. And Brooks Kepka, two for two, an, an absolutely fantastic win. Um, it, it's pretty crazy that he has now won two U.S. Opens, and in the rest of his career, he's only got one PGA Tour victory. I, I think that's a little odd, and uh, I'm actually going to uh, expand on that a little bit um, after reading an article from Andy at the Fried Egg, uh, which I thought was very interesting, but... Overall, a fantastic, fantastic win uh, for Brooks Kepka. Congratulations to him. Uh, I wasn't 100% sure if the Fox Broadcasting crew uh, was able to get her name correctly this year. I, I haven't followed up on that. As soon as Brooks won, I didn't really even stick around for the championship ceremony. I uh, I had so many errands and chores to do around my house that I basically sat down for four hours on Sunday, watched, you know, from the time that Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka teed off on one until the tournament ended. And that was about it for Sunday for me. As soon as that was over, I was back working on the house. But, man, then that's something. I do actually want to give uh, a shout-out to Fox, man. I mean, uh, the the broadcast for this year's U.S. Open was really, really well done. Uh, They have come a long, long way since 2015. Um, when, you know, the, the Chambers Bay broadcast was kind of a, you know, kind of a disaster, but I really, I really enjoyed, um, them actually going back and forth between Joe Buck and Shane Bacon, uh, for kind of the, the hosting duties. I thought Joe Buck has gotten much better at golf over the past couple of years, but, you know, even just kind of minimizing his presence there and kind of sharing those duties with somebody else, especially when it's someone like Shane Bacon, who's absolutely exceptional. I mean, I I would love to see Shane Bacon, uh, doing more tournaments. Um, plus, he's just got a man. That guy has got a deep, just burly broadcasting voice. He he is really really good. He really knows his shit. Um, and he's also a fun guy, to, you know, to listen to. He's got a great podcast called The Clubhouse, which uh, you know, if you guys haven't listened to already, is really really good. Um, and yeah, so the, the Fox in general did a great job. They had Pro Tracer up there, so you could kind of get all that stuff. But it wasn't overwhelming. Um, Azinger was great. Brad Faxon was great. 
you know, having Gil Hans up there in the, throughout the broadcast to kind of comment on the architecture and everything like that. It was just a very well-produced broadcast, and uh, I think Fox deserves some credit for really, really starting to figure this thing out and really putting together a good product, um, which, of course, you know, certainly, you know, it doesn't hurt to have Holly Saunders interviewing people after uh, after their rounds either. So, all in all, Fox, great job on the broadcast, and now let's dive into uh, a few of the items and a few of the takeaways that I had from the tournament here. And for better or for worse, uh, you know, I think one of the big takeaways, one of the most memorable uh, parts of this year's U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills, um, you know, unfortunately is going to be Phil. You know, Phil's little fiasco where he, you know, putted a ball while it was still moving. Um, It's weird that a guy who was so out of contention, who really had no no bearing on what the final outcome of the tournament was going to be in terms of the top 10, the top 25, whatever it may be, um, has grabbed most of the headlines and, oddly enough, is probably going to be what people remember about this golf tournament, sadly, probably even more so than Tommy Fleetwood's 63 on Sunday or Brooks Kepka's win. Um, and I, I didn't understand it then, and I don't understand it now. It, the people that are were crying for Phil Mickelson to, to get DQ'd, you know, getting their, uh, you know, proverbial panties in a bunch. It just, it's just so ridiculous, man. I mean, it's like, you know what? If if you think you should get DQ'd, then tell the USGA, change the rule to say, if you put a ball while it's still moving, then you're automatically disqualified. That's it. Easy enough. Like, I mean, Phil Mickelson, he, like, broke a rule, but he served the penalty for that rule, and the penalty was not getting disqualified from the golf tournament, so I really don't understand why everybody was so fucking upset. I mean, for shit's sake, the guy's 15 strokes off the lead. You know, okay, he's going to penalize himself two extra strokes, and so now he's, you know, what, 17 strokes off the lead. I I don't know if those numbers are totally accurate at the time, but it's like, who cares? I mean, if anything, he's he's getting more eyes on the golf tournament, and he's probably bringing attention to a rule that may may be overdue to get changed anyway. So I I honestly do not understand all the blowback for Phil Mickelson. You know... Just let the guy live. I mean, for Christ's sake, you know. I mean, the guy's out of contention. He's clearly frustrated. He did the exact same thing that any other golfer would probably do in that sort of situation. I mean, and it it just had no no effect on the golf tournament itself. Um, so it's like fucking whatever, people. Let let, let Phil do his thing. He apologized. I I think his initial takeaway, where he was telling people like, "Hey, I broke a rule," like you know, but get over it. Like whatever. I I could not have agreed more, and uh, yeah, and there's a lot of golf writers that I've that I've looked at that uh, have said he should have been disqualified. And my, you know, my only reaction is, well, that's not Phil's fucking problem. You know, go you know, talk to the governing bodies, the people that make the rules, and have that switch to be a DQ. That that that's simple, matter of fact. That that's just the way that it has to be. Um, or you know, hey, who knows? Maybe that same penalty. Why don't you turn it into a four-stroke penalty? That way, even if somebody's doing something like Phil did, where he's like, oh, yeah, well, if I hadn't stopped, it would have gone all the way off the green. It would have cost me at least two strokes anyway. It's like, all right, man, well, how about this? How about it's a four-stroke penalty? That way you see it roll off the green. It's probably not going to take you four strokes to get back, so then it's really going to de-incentivize hitting that golf ball while it's still moving. So either way, I think just calling for Phil to be disqualified and do all this kind of stuff like that, it's just a ton of people wasting their time uh, and probably wasting your time the same way they've wasted mine now because I've had to address this. But um, overall, you know, I, I think it's going to be a quirky, you know, not top 10 sports center kind of clip from 2018. 
um, that I, you know, it's fine. It doesn't make one different, you know, it doesn't make a difference to me one way or the other. Uh, but I do want to thank Phil for, for providing all of us with uh, a little, you know, a talking point. And also, I mean, the Golf Channel owes Phil, I, mean, I don't know, however many hundreds of thousands of dollars for giving them as much ammunition as they could possibly shoot that just reel off hours and hours of just pointless coverage covering this whole thing. So uh, Phil Mickelson, unfortunately the big takeaway from the golf tournament, but uh, there is a lesson to be learned here that just don't care as much, everybody. Just just let you know, let the man live. If you want it different, talk to the governing body and have them change the rules. And I, I know I touched on it a little bit already, but the, the one thing I have to mention is I just love me some Tommy Fleetwood. If you've listened to this podcast, you know, for, you know, months or years or whatever, you have heard me referencing Tommy Fleetwood as one of my favorite golfers on the planet right now. And man, it was so much fun to see him just tearing up, you know, the leaderboard on Sunday. Um, again, I, I wish he would have, you know, made one more putt down the stretch to force that playoff with Kepka, but uh, it is just so great to see Tommy Fleetwood in the mix in some of the top golf tournaments in the world. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood is exceptionally good for golf, and uh, you know it's it's one of those things where I think what last year, 2017, he kind of won the Europeans' version of the FedEx Cup. I think the race to Dubai. So he's essentially the player of the year on the European Tour last year, and now with him being you know ultra competitive and a lot of these big tournaments stateside, uh, I think the uh, the coming out party is officially concluded, and now we can all consider Tommy Fleetwood to be. Uh, one of the world's great young players. I mean, he's only 27 years old. He's got a couple years of his absolute prime still ahead of him, and uh, it has just been super fun to watch him. I, he's got one of my favorite golf swings in the world, um, and he's just a very, very humble, uh, very fun guy to listen to. Um, you know, I, he did a, a podcast on No Laying Up a couple months ago that was really good, um, despite the audio quality not being 100, you know, as good as you're normally accustomed to with that podcast, but... Uh, just a very humble, very mellow dude, it seems like. Uh, I, I hope one day I get a chance to, to meet him because he seems, by all accounts, to be a, a pretty stupendous guy. And uh, it's just a ton of fun to watch play golf. So that, that was another one of my big takeaways from the weekend is that Tommy Fleetwood is a certifiable G. I really, really like him. And God damn it, does he have a good head of hair. Whew, Tom Fleetwood. Well done, man. Okay. And now it is time to address this quote-unquote controversy uh, that was taking place at Shinnecock Hills this past weekend with uh, the USGA quote-unquote losing the golf course. Um, I, I have been critical of the USGA and Mike Davis in the past. I, I think the whole Dustin Johnson fiasco at Oakmont with you know penalizing him you know an hour or two after the fact and assessing that stroke penalty to him was grade-A bullshit. Um, I, I thought having the tournament at Aaron Hills was a missed opportunity. Well, the golf course seemed awesome. You know, I, I've always thought that the U.S. Open is kind of a, a chance for the USJ to show off the premier golf courses in the country with the most, you know, history behind them. And, you know, having a, more or less having it at new venues um, is not my preference. Now, I, that, that's a little unfair to places like Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills because they are, by all accounts, spectacular golf courses they're just not the kind of courses that I want to see the pros take on in a U.S. Open. So I have been critical of the USGA in the past, but you know what? I I absolutely refuse to get on the USGA's back um, this year. I, I honestly don't think the USGA did anything wrong. I think 
the guys that were savagely critical on Saturday, um, most notably Zach Johnson, who I always like Zach Johnson. I mean, you've heard me pick him to win majors within the last like two years. Like, I really like Zach Johnson's game. He seems like a good guy, but holy shit, was I effing pissed at Zach Johnson when I heard him talk about them losing the golf course? Because that's just, it just wasn't true. They had not lost the golf course. I mean, what basically happened was a lot of guys played a golf course that was significantly more difficult than they were accustomed to playing, and it was forcing a lot of guys to hit the types of golf shots that the PGA Tour's normal setups don't usually demand of these players. I mean, you know, instead of being, you know, 170 yards out into a two-club wind, instead of just hitting a high, powerful seven iron and just dropping it under your target, guys were, had to think outside the box. They had to hit knockdown five irons to left edges of the green and use the slopes of the of the ground to kind of funnel the ball into where they... It, they're just golf shots they don't have to hit very often, and... When you combine that with the fact that the greens were really, really quick and, you know, a couple of the pin placements were really challenging, maybe even a little too challenging, that has no, it, that doesn't mean the golf course was lost. And basically, Zach Johnson and the other players that were complaining about the golf course were basically not able to look themselves in the mirror and recognize the fact that they just fucking sucked. And that, you know, they, they were just, they didn't play well. They weren't able to you know, find the perfect strategy and execute the way that they needed to in order to put up a good score. And rather than admitting that they just weren't good, it just seemed like a lot easier to basically, you know, use the USGA as a proverbial pinata and just and just take shots at them. I mean, if that really was the case, then, you know, why was the winning score still only one over par? All right. I mean, why, why was Brooks Kepler? Why were other people? Why were Tony Finau and Daniel Berger? And wh why were they able to shoot 66 on Saturday in those same pins and everything like that? Now, granted, the golf course was a little drier and played a little different in the afternoon than the morning. But, you know, I mean, fucking suck it up, guys. If This is supposed to be the most difficult, challenging test in golf. And, you know, I, I thought that uh, I thought Patrick Reed's comments uh, after his round on Saturday were the most accurate and, uh, and kind of what I was hoping that the majority of the players would vocalize. And that is he said, you know what? The golf course out there today was unbelievably difficult, but it was fair. I mean, it, it was really, really, really hard, but it was fair. There was two pin placements, I believe he said, on 13 and 15 that were, like, maybe a little too gnarly in terms of how close they were to slopes that were taking balls off the green. So, you know, I mean, but, you know, other than those two pin placements, the course was perfectly fair. It was just difficult, and I think that is spot on. And, uh, you know, I I really hope somehow, some way that golf fans are wise enough to realize that, you uh, the USGA did not mess this one up. I mean, really, they the only thing that they did, in my opinion, that where they effed up was essentially listening to, you know, whiners like Zach Johnson and then basically softening up the golf course on Sunday and giving everybody a bunch of driving range pins where they're essentially putting the flagstick right in the middle of the putting surface and giving guys much easier, you know, approach shots that aren't going to be that they don't have as much danger looming close to the flagstick as they probably intended on doing for the final round on Sunday. Um, it just, and you know, and that's the other thing. It's like, given the state of golf in 2018, it is so unbelievably difficult to set up a golf course to challenge these guys and get that winning score to be somewhere around even par. I mean, technology and, you know, all of the resources that these players have from TrackMan to you know, 460cc drivers to, you know, all the other, you know, the, the golf balls and everything else like that. I mean, it is genuinely uh, perplexing to try to find a way 
to get the winning score to be somewhere around 72 for four straight days or 70, I guess, in this case, um, because the technology is so out of hand that, you know, you have to make a golf course, quote unquote, just gnarly, uh, kind of the way the Shinnecock did in order to get that championship test back. And, uh, you know, Andy Johnson from the fried egg was hammering this home, you know, during his uh, coverage of the tournament and also did the same thing after, uh, with, with an article they wrote, um, the technology effect has basically been twofold. It's made it nearly impossible for the USGA to properly set up a golf course, and it's also robbed the game of skill. You know, like uh, if you combine those two together, uh, the line of a really, you know, the line of a really good setup for a tournament and a bad setup is is so razor thin. I mean, it's like you could teeter one way or the other, and people aren't really going to know what side of the line that you're on. And, and the vast majority of the players who played this past weekend. They lacked the ability to hit the shots that were necessary at Shinnecock Hills um, in order to put up good scores. And rather than understand that, their you know their instinct was simply just to complain about the golf course and the USGA. And uh, yeah, again, I've been critical of the USGA in the past, but this tournament this past weekend was not a time to be critical of the USGA. They put on an exceptional golf tournament at a wonderful historic venue. They did everything possible to try to make it as challenging while also being fair. Um, and overall, you know, from a viewer standpoint, I mean, obviously I wasn't competing, but from a viewer standpoint, it was absolutely everything um, that I could have wanted for a, a U.S. Open. And, uh, you know, again, this this is something that, Andy, you know, Andy's, uh, this is Andy's opinion here, but I, I, I do tend to agree with him. And the, the solution for all this is pretty simple. Um it's time to control the technology, you know, roll some stuff back a little bit and restore, you know, the aspect of skill uh, back to the game of golf rather than just bombing, you know, bombing 330 yard drives and hitting wedges into soft greens and, and tapping in. I mean, that's that gets repetitive and it gets boring for all of us. Um, and yeah, rolling the equipment back a little bit would bring the skill, the skill back to the game. And part of why we all love golf so much is that it's hard It is a fucking difficult game to play. If it was really, really easy, um, we probably wouldn't want to watch the guys, the professionals, play it so far. I mean, if it was easier, there might be more recreational golfers going to playing. But when it comes to watching guys in the PGA Tour, we we enjoy it because we understand how difficult the game of golf is. And to watch those guys execute shots that we just can't fathom doing over and over and over again is part of the allure. And uh, the technology has made it not as impressive and has also made it more difficult for governing bodies like the USGA to put on a good golf tournament that truly tests um, the best golfers in the world. And so I think that's kind of the uh, the takeaway from there. I mean, many of you probably agree, and just as many of you, if not more, likely disagree, and, and that's okay. Um, I know that I'm right, so I, I don't really have much of an issue there. But uh, anyway, th- this whole controversy over the USGA losing the golf course is completely overblown. Um it was not an issue. They did an excellent job setting up the golf course. Again, as Patrick Reed said, other than two pin placements on Saturday, I really don't know what the USGA could have done to have put on a better golf tournament. I, th- I thought it was absolutely fantastic, and uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed the hell out of it. I, I hope that next year's tournament at uh, at Pebble Beach uh, provides all of us with as much entertainment and as much of a challenge and test uh, for the players that are going to be competing as this year's tournament did at Shinnecock Hills. And just an absolute wonderful golf tournament, and congratulations to the USGA 
for putting on a really wonderful tournament despite what all the knuckleheads out there are saying. And and that's about it. That That's about all of, of the thoughts that I have on uh, this past weekend's 2018 U.S. Open. Great tournament, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. It's really, really good stuff. So uh, on that note, I will be back next week. Uh, I hope all of you guys enjoy your weekend. I hope it is filled with golf. Uh, be on the lookout. The Travelers Championship is taking place this weekend. Jordan Spieth will look to defend his title after he won in a playoff with Daniel Berger last year with that infamous chip in from uh, from the bunker that the, U, uh, the, the PGA Tours live under par shit slogan is just really beat into a ground, uh, beat into the ground, excuse me. Um, yeah, so it should be a fun golf tournament to watch this weekend, but hey, if you're like me, I, I hope you're out actually playing golf this weekend more so than watching too much. And uh, and now we just get to get pumped up for my second favorite golf tournament of the year, the uh, the Open Championship, which is going to be taking place uh, just in a few short weeks. So we will start to get amped for that. Carnoustie, my favorite non-St. Andrews golf course on the Open rotation. Um, and we'll certainly get a lot more into that in greater detail here in the upcoming weeks. But uh, until then, have a tremendous weekend, everybody. Enjoy the golf course. Enjoy the game of golf. I will be back with you soon. Uh, so, yeah, until then, mahalo. Mahalo.